please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and we will read the first eight verses, Luke 18, 1 to 8. And after we read, I know you do this, but I'll still remind you to keep your Bibles open because it is important that you are able to see with me what I am saying from God's Word because God's Word is the authority. So let me read and we will look at those verses together. Luke 18, 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, you inspired these words. Now I ask for the help of the same Spirit who inspired them to rightly understand, rightly interpret, and rightly preach. And Nursing us, I pray, a new zeal for prayer. Come, Spirit of the living God. I am weak. Be my strength. Be with my mind. Be with my heart. Protect me from Satan and from sin. Protect your people and speak. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray to last in God's mission. Prayer is one of the most difficult Christian discipline. But we must learn to pray or else we will not be able to go through the difficulties of life. We must pray and endure in prayers for our missionaries because the success of what they do does not depend on them, it depends on God. We must pray for God's mission in our church, in your family, in your life, because without the help of God, All of our labors will be in vain. 
We must depend on God for power to do God's work if God has to be glorified in it. Because prayer basically says, we cannot, you can. We cannot send missionaries, you can. We cannot sustain and encourage missionaries, you can. We cannot provide for missionaries, you can. We cannot be there to empower them, you can. Prayer is an emptying of ourselves, showing how needy we are and how wealthy our God is. And when we empty ourselves before Him that way, He takes the light to walk because when He shows His power in our weakness, He gets the glory. And we receive good from that. We are a needy people. To be prayerless is to attempt to be God. We are a needy people. And we must send missionaries. And we must do church. And we must do marriages. And we must do education. And everything in life in a way that says we are not able. He is able. Study mathematics and geography. In a way that says, without God, I cannot do it. And the way we do that is by depending on Him in prayer. And yet, it is the most difficult discipline. So I come to this topic with trembling. Because don't, don't hear me speak on prayer and you think He must be a really prayerful person. I need the sermon as much as you do. I want to grow as one who day by day, regularly, persistently is crying out to heaven for help so that in all of my accomplishments, in all of my ministry endeavors, in every counseling, in every preaching, he gets the glory, not me. Because I do not want to be known. And we must learn to depend on him in prayer if he will be glorified in our ministry efforts, in our missions effort. And this parable is given us for that. I think it's, it's, a, it's a bittersweet providence that we just heard the announcement that one of the prayerful saints among us passed into eternity. As I heard that I was pleading with God, would you raise me? Would you raise us to be that? That when we come to our dying days, it may be said that we're a prayerful people. So God, I pray, would you do that? For your name's sake. First, let's look at the purpose of the parable. And then we are going to look at the parable itself. And then we are going to look at the application of that parable. And I'm going to give you a last word of caution and an encouragement. So first, the purpose of the parable. Second, we'll look at the parable. Third, the application of the parable a word of caution, a word of encouragement. The purpose of the parable. 
I think Luke makes it pretty easy for us to interpret this parable, right? He, say, he states the purpose right clearly at the very beginning. This makes it easy for a preacher. You don't have to linger very long into it to know what the point of the message is. <sighs> he says in verse 1, this is the purpose. And he told them that he is Jesus and that them is referring to the disciples to whom he has been talking in the previous context. We're going to come back to that context in a few minutes. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That is the point of the parable. A few things to note about that purpose. He told them a parable that they ought. That word ought says prayer is necessary. It highlights the necessity of what he is calling them to. He told them a parable that it is necessary for them to pray always. Prayer is not optional. Prayer is necessary if we must live the Christian life well. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. That little word always highlights regularity and persistency. When you do something always, I think he is saying with that word, I want you to pray regularly and I want you to pray persistently. It is necessary for you not just to pray, it is necessary, Jesus is telling us in this parable, to pray regularly and persistently. We pray regularly and we pray persistently for the purpose that we not faint, we not lose heart. We will lose, if we lose heart in prayer, we will lose heart in ministry. If we faint in prayer, we will faint in ministry. You faint in prayer, you will faint in marriage. Because a loving husband, a loving wife needs heavenly grace. And a loving pastor, a loving missionary needs supply from outside of himself. Or else he will faint in the business of advancing the kingdom of God. Prayer is God's gift to us to guard our hearts as we walk through this journey be it live between this time, between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. You're going to see why I just said that before we conclude the sermon. We need to cry out to God regularly and persistently if our hearts will stay encouraged. Who in this room hasn't faced discouragement? Everyone. In marriage, in school, in ministry, missions, it's enough to discourage us, to cause us to faint. And Jesus is saying, faith, church, you ought always to pray so that you not lose heart as students, as husbands, as wives, 
so that you not lose heart in the missions work that you are engaging. You ought always to pray so that your missionaries around the world do not lose heart because they face a lot that would cause them to faint. That is the purpose of the, the parable. Now let's look at the parable itself. Luke has already interpreted it for us. But let's look at the parable from verse 2. It says, He said, that is Jesus, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So we are introduced first to a judge in an unknown city because where, he, where that city is doesn't matter. We are told there is a judge and he doesn't fear God. He has no respect for men. That's already a bad signal. Verse 3. And in the same city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, the, the beginning of verse 3 already tells us that this is not going to be good. When you, when you talk about a judge who does not fear God or respect men, and you go on to talk about a widow, that cannot be good news. If someone does not fear God, and you bring a picture of a widow into, you bring a widow into the picture, that is not going to make things any better. She has, he has no respect for men. If he has no respect for men at all, he will not even respect a widow. Because widows, in their time, were looked down upon. He will have no respect for a widow. And this widow kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. Not surprising that he refuses, because he has no respect for men. No fear of men. No fear of God. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. No, not really. She's already beaten you down by her continual coming. Right? The reason why you are giving her justice is because you are wearied with her constant showing up at your office. But he does give the widow justice. And that widow, in that picture, in that parable, represents us. That widow is a picture of who we are. The widow symbolizes affliction, desolation, loneliness, loss, a sense of emptiness. When, when Jesus uses the imagery of a widow to capture who believers are, he is saying, life on earth is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. You will feel at times like you are a widow, isolated, afflicted, lonely. The world is empty, as it were, before you. 
This widow knew that she could only get justice by her persistency. And she persisted, and justice was given her. Now, let's look at the application that Jesus makes to that parable. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He applies that parable by asking three questions. But the first thing I want us to note is that the judge is being contrasted with God. God is not like the judge. God is unlike the judge. What Jesus is saying when he says, hear what the wicked judge or the unrighteous judge says, will not God give justice to his elect? He is saying, if a wicked judge could do good to a widow for her persistency and her regular coming, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you who are his own? That's what he's saying. He calls us there in verse 7. He says, will not God give justice to whom? His elect." His chosen people. This is not a widow and a judge. This is a father and her children. He cares about you. He loves you. He is your father. If a wicked judge can do good to a widow who is unknown to her, to him, because of her consistency and her persistency, how much more will your heavenly father give to you if you persist, if you undo, if you cry out to him regularly? How much more? He is your father, you are his elect. Now, I also want us to note something about his elect in that verse. This elect, he says, are those who are crying to him day and night. You wonder why he uses the picture of a widow to represent them. Because life in between the first coming and the second coming for the elect is marked by tears. They are crying. This is crying. I believe in prayer. And it's crying because of the pain of this life. Being an elect of God does not insulate us from pain. Being an elect of God may be the reason why we may go through certain pain. But we have a heavenly father. And he is for us. No matter the pain. The valley may be dark. But he will walk with us through that valley. We can cry out to him day and night. In the night when no one is there. 
when no one is there. The dark nights of the soul when no one understands. It feels like even in a community like this, it is easy to feel lonely and feel not understood. Like you're walking by yourself. There is one you can trust. There is one you can cry to. Day and night, his ears are open to hear you. Now let's look at the question he asked. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? That, that question is framed in such a way that the answer should be, God most certainly will. God will give justice. God will answer every prayer. I love the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we hear that the prayers of the saints are being stored in a bowl, a golden bowl. There is no wasted prayer. None. Will he delay? Will, will, uh, and will, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The answer is he will. Second question. Will he delay long over them? He answers that question and the previous one in verse 8. This is a simple parable to interpret, right? Jesus, I think he understands prayer is so difficult. No, I don't want to talk about prayer in a very complex way. I want to lay it plain for you so that you do not miss out on what I am saying and just go down on your knees and pray. And he gives the response in verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He will give justice to them speedily. Really? Really? Does he give justice speedily? He doesn't always feel speedily. He doesn't. There are injustices against which I have prayed and pleaded with God over and over. Would you cause this to cease? You watch the injustice from false preachers against God's people. When will this come to an end? When? When will you deliver your church from this falsehood? Why? And it doesn't always seem like he is walking speedily. But the, the speed is in his hands. Because the walk is his. The mission is his. He always shows up at the right time. At the right time. Paul, I'm sure you know, he pleaded with God three times. Take away the stone from my flesh. And he showed up speedily, but he did not show up speedily to get him out. He showed up speedily and said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Because it is in your weakness that my strength is displayed. We sang that. 
when he does not show up in our time. In many ways, it's for our good. It is for his glory. We saw that in the, we see that in the life of Paul. Or you think of Martha and Mary. Their brother is sick, and they send words to Jesus. Your friend Lazarus is sick. Come, come, heal him. And when he gets the word, we are told that he delayed. I'm sure for Martha and Mary, like, why are you delaying? Why in the world will your friend Lazarus be sick? And we who have been with you. Jesus, don't you know us? Have you forgotten your friend Lazarus? Why would you delay? Now you've delayed and he's died. You don't seem to be acting that speedily. If you came sooner, he would not have died. And Jesus responds, this is to glorify God. When it seems that he is not coming in your own time, at least we can know for sure. In it, he means to make us more godly, more dependent on him, and he means to be glorified in it. And the question now is, when he finally comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, when I say, will he find faith, I'm not saying that, will he find faith, church? Will he find the faith that depends on him regularly and persistently through the ups and downs of life? Will he find that? When he comes, finally, will he find the faith that is crying out to him day and night without giving up? Will he find that when he comes? Now, that question, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's not meant for us to start speculating. It is meant for us to examine our faith, right? And say, I want to be faithful. I want, and faith in this context is the faith that is crying out to him day and night, looking to him for strength to endure the trials of life, the trials of the missions field, the trials of sending and supporting a missionary. And you should not say to that question, yeah, you will find my faith standing. I know myself. You know, just a few days after this, he talks to Peter. Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. That, or to dem Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. I, I think that's what he says. And I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You see how Jesus keeps Peter's faith? I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. 
So don't hear when he comes, will he find faith on earth? And you say, yeah, I, I will have faith. G Peter said that. Oh, Lord, if everyone falls away, I will not. I know myself. I am strong. I have been with you. Even if all turn away, I will stand with you. And in one night, he denied him three times. So don't respond to that question by saying, I am able to. When he comes, will he find faith on earth? The only faith that he will find on earth is the faith that he himself is sustaining. And we must cry out to him, make me faithful. Keep me believing. Keep me crying day and night until you come. Now, also, I want to, let, let me make another observation. Note that in verse 8, that last question talks about the second coming of Jesus, right? It says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, that is the second coming, will he find faith on earth? So at the end of the parable, we are introduced to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you flip back with, with me to chapter 17, you would find that before this parable, he has been talking about his second coming. Chapter 17, from verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you that can be observed. Nor will they say, look here, or, or, or look here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Verse 22, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And he goes on from there to describe his second coming. What the things that will happen to mark his second coming. So the observation I want to make is that parable is enveloped in the teaching of the second coming. Chapter 17 from verse 20 to the end is about the second coming. The parable ends with the theme of the second coming. And I think that that is meant to show us the way we live life in as we expect the second coming of Jesus is to do what that parable is saying that we do, crying out to heaven for help. And life before his coming, as we see in these previous verses, will not be easy. It will be hard. Verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. He's saying there will be such suffering that you will be wishing that Jesus could come back. And he will not, you will not see it, he says. It will seem to you that he has delayed for so long. But when he delays, will you keep persistently and regularly crying out to him? Next, we find in verse 23, he says, And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out to, or follow them. So, that is highlighting false teaching that will rise 
in between his first coming and the second coming. Many will come claiming that here is the kingdom. Here is the kingdom. Don't be deceived by that. Remain steadfast, regular in prayer, persistent in prayer, and wait for my coming. And he goes on to talk about the ways that the, 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 the people will give themselves to sinful pleasures. Like in the days of Noah, they were getting married. And in the days of Lot, they were getting married and giving into marriage. And they were having fun and giving themselves to enjoying the gifts of God and ignoring God. When all of that is happening around you, where the world around you is, you are surrounded by a people who are giving themselves to pleasure, giving themselves to enjoying the gifts of God and ignoring your God, I want you to be persistent in prayer. Don't lose heart. Don't look at the wickedness of the nation. And lose heart in prayer. Continue praying. I will show up at the right time. And we will be tempted, like Lord's wife, to look back when the temptations come. Pray that you may not enter into it. So this is said in the context of the second coming of Jesus Christ to say that in between the time when he first came and his second coming, we are to be a people who see the necessity of prayer, and who are praying regularly and persistently. We must grow to pray that way, to live that way. A word of caution and a word of encouragement. Now there is uh, a tendency to hear a sermon like this. And evaluate your prayer life and think, yeah, I, I pray pretty well. No, I am pretty good with this thing. John, you can hear that sermon. Did you hear? You need to learn to pray like that. That will make you a self-righteous person. And the next parable addresses that. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Right? Chapter 18, from verse 9. And he told them this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, set apart from every other, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. And he lists his righteous deeds. I fast twice a week. He's regular in prayer. He's not just praying. He's fasting with prayer. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You cannot respond to Jesus' teaching on the necessity of prayer, the regularity of prayer, the persistency of prayer, and use that as your badge before God. God, you see how much I have prayed? 
The Pharisee did that. How, you see how regular I am in my prayer life? That's a bad way to use your regular prayer. Should you pray regularly? Yes. Persistently? Yes. But don't use it like this. The, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the word of caution, after you have done all the persistent prayer, all the regular prayer, all the prayer meetings you can have, don't trust in your prayers. Don't trust in the regularity of your prayers. Don't bring them before the Lord as a ground for Him to do good to you. After we have prayed and fasted and done all of that, we come before Him, God be merciful to me. God be merciful to me. Because we can never earn a standing before Him by praying regularly. We cannot. And if that sermon was condemning for you, and you're feeling like, oh, I'm such a failure. My prayer life is just a wreck. Is there any hope for, any, for, a, for, for one like me? If everyone in this church knew how prayerless I, I am, they probably would not love me. If that is where you are, I invite you to repent. And I invite you to the mercy of God. God, be merciful to me. God, be merciful to me. God, be merciful to a prayerless saint and make me prayerful. But let me never boast in my prayerfulness. That is how we are to respond. So pray faith regularly and persistently, but never boasts in it. After you have done all the prayers, count only on the mercy of Christ, on the mercy of God. And you will leave every prayer meeting justified. Accepted, welcome, treasured, valued by your God. Will you pray? Will you stand? When he comes, will he find you on your knees? When he comes, will he find you crying out to him? We are needy. He is our wealth. And we must look to him regularly and persistently. Let us pray.
we rejoice, Lord, that your son paid the price for our sins. Such that prayerless saints can yet run to the arms of mercy. Receive mercy and receive grace. Forgiving mercy, prayer-empowering grace. And I pray that grace to be multiplied richly on faith, on this family, on me, and on our church family in Yaoundé. Oh, make us a prayerful people. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.